Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gundog by Gary Whitta. Chapter 9 Falk hadn't exaggerated. Their first full day of freedom was brutal. They saw their first surveyor as they were emerging from the forest about an hour after dawn, roving across a distant hillside. In that, at least, they were lucky, seeing it before it detected them. It was barely visible, just a speck on the horizon. But the early morning sunlight glinted off its metallic carapace, alerting them to its presence. Dakota and Falk knew from hard-won experience that they were only just beyond the range at which a surveyor could detect the presence of a human, and they retreated back into the trees and crouched there, prepared to turn and run deeper into the forest if it moved much closer. But instead, it moved away, continuing on its assigned patrol route, and they both breathed a sigh of relief, waited a little longer just to be sure, and got moving again. They were crossing open country now, which was dangerous, but they had little choice. It was all wide open here, great plains that seemed to go on without end. The day was clear and bright at least, which made it easy to scan for distant mech drones, though it also made it easy for the mech to spot them from the air, or from orbit. Still, all they could do was keep moving, keep hoping. How do you know we're going in the right direction? Dakota asked, as they traipsed through the tall grass. I checked the map against the stars last night, Falk replied. And those mountains up ahead? They're right where they're supposed to be. He pointed to the rugged range on the horizon. It'll be hard going across there, but better cover. More difficult for the mech to spot us. Dakota had learned much about survival over the course of her short life, but geography meant little to her. Occasionally on their travels, she and Sam would come across an old road sign or a, a name marker outside a destroyed town. But those names were meaningless, just artifacts of a lost world. Even when they came across an old map, they'd never bothered with it. Maps showed you how to get places you wanted to go. But there were no places anymore. Nowhere left to go. Only the empty landscape, the townships, the mech cities. And those were easy enough to avoid without maps or road signs, 
You could see their towering pyramids on the horizon from miles away. As she recalled those times, Dakota found herself thinking about how much she missed Sam. This was literally the first day in her entire life that she'd been apart from him. She'd come to rely upon him for so much over the years, and he upon her, that she felt like one half of a whole, somehow incomplete without him. She worried about him now. Would the mech back at the township be interrogating the other workers, trying to find out if anyone knew about the escape? Surely they'd question Sam first, the brother of one of the escapees. She remembered what Falk had said about mech interrogation, and horror filled her. What might she have consigned Sam to by escaping and leaving him behind as the mech's only link to her? What might they do- Get down! Before Dakota could react, Falk was dragging her down into a ditch and gesturing to her to be quiet. They both cowered there in the dirt, Falk listening intently, Dakota wondering what the hell he'd seen or heard. A moment later, a mech fast-mover shot across the sky high above them, leaving a black contrail in its wake. Dakota watched from her prone position, huddled next to Falk as it moved away, as quickly as it had come. They waited a little longer, silently, before daring to move. Then, at Falk's nod, they rose from the ditch and scanned the surrounding plains. Do you think it saw us? Dakota asked. I guess we'll find out soon enough if it did, said Falk brushing the dirt from his coveralls. You don't see fast movers that often, Dakota observed. Maybe the mech sent it to look for us. Maybe, said Falk. Nothing we can do but keep moving. Come on. He offered her his hand and helped her climb out of the ditch. Together they kept walking towards the distant mountains. How did you even know it was coming? Dakota asked. They don't make a sound. They do. It's just... real high-pitched said Falk. Guess I'm lucky. I got the ears to hear it. And you have to know what to listen for. These guys I ran with for a while a few years ago, they kept a dog with them, because dogs can always hear the mech coming. Dogs can hear things humans can't. If we had one with us, we'd have known about that fast mover long before it. He stopped. Listening. Dakota's heart was in her throat again. What was it now? Shit, it's coming back said Falk, looking in the direction the fast mover had gone. They were too far from the ditch to seek shelter there again now. Run! As Falk took off, Dakota looked back in the same direction, and now she saw it. The mech flyer in the distant sky. Just a black dot, but getting larger, and quickly, approaching at high speed. It must have seen them after all, or at least gotten enough of a reading to rouse its suspicions, make it swing around for another- Dakota, run! Falk's voice shook her racing mind back to here and now and she started running, trying to catch up with him. There was no hope of stealth now, nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. They couldn't outrun this thing. But she kept running anyway because that's what Falk was doing and running felt better than standing still and simply awaiting her fate. The fast mover shot overhead, and Dakota watched, aghast, as it dropped half a dozen metal spheres from its belly just up ahead. She knew exactly what would happen when those spheres hit the ground. What was hiding within them? Scuttlers! Falk cried. The spheres were still falling, moments from the ground, and Falk was now veering away to the left to avoid running straight toward them. Dakota followed, her legs carrying her as fast as they could. The first sphere hit the ground hard and cracked open like an egg, its shell designed to break apart neatly on impact. And from within arose a six-legged metal creature, a newborn spider emerging from its sack. The mech scuttler's armored shell gleamed in the sun, 
as other spheres impacted around it, each giving birth to its own oversized metal insect. As she ran, Dakota stole a glance over her shoulder to see all six of the scuttlers now fully emerge and spread across the plain, just a few hundred meters away. They were already moving fast, scurrying like giant crabs in pursuit of their prey. This is it, thought Dakota in that moment. She and Sam had had close encounters with scuttlers before. They were faster than humans, they were heavily armored, and they carried a beam weapon that could fry you with one shot. She'd once seen a single scuttler take on a dozen armed humans and kill every one of them without suffering so much as a scratch. Some it vaporized with its beam, others it tore to pieces with its powerful mechanical limbs. The sight of that monster slaughtering so many, so quickly, and with such ruthless efficiency, remained a recurring nightmare for years after. And now she and Falk were facing not one, but six of them, closing the distance fast. At least we tried, Dakota thought. At least we died on our- This way, come on! It was Falk again, frantically ushering her toward some kind of sewer grate set into the side of a hillock. He pulled on the rusted metal grill, but it wouldn't budge. Dakota raced to join him and tried to help, both of them tugging on the grate with everything they had, trying to wrench it free. She didn't dare look back now because she knew the scuttlers were close, mere seconds away, just by the awful metallic chittering sounds they made. She felt an intense heat burn the left side of her face as a section of mossy hillside just in front of her burst into flaming molten slag. One of the scuttlers had fired its beam weapon, missing her by no more than a fraction of an inch. She doubted she'd be so lucky a second time. She and Falk yanked on the grate for all they were worth, and with one final effort, it came free of its housing, weakened by decades of rust and disrepair, leaving behind a hole just big enough to crawl through. Go, go! Falk grabbed Dakota and practically pushed her through the opening. She scrambled inside, her world suddenly black, and fell into darkness, landing a few meters below in a shallow pool that stank of putrid shit. Definitely a sewer. And then Falk was there, splashing down next to her. He groaned. Seemed to have hurt himself in the fall. But Dakota helped him to his feet, looked up to see daylight shafting through the aperture above. Dakota and Falk took off down the tunnel, racing blindly, desperately into the dark, leaving their pursuers behind. It was hours later before they finally felt confident that the scuttlers had been unable to follow them into the sewer. Still, they didn't feel remotely safe. Their position would have been reported, and the algorithm, making trillions of calculations per second, would have plotted dozens of moves ahead. Did the mech have access to the schematics of these old sewer systems? If they did, they could find another way in, or at least lie in wait at every possible exit point. Maybe Dakota and Falk were already trapped. Maybe they would die down here, in the dark. But for now, at least, they were alive, if only by inches. After what felt like an eternity of fumbling and splashing through the sewers, they found an intersection where two tunnels converged into a kind of open area where a tiny bit of daylight came in through a grate high above. The grate was wildly overgrown with plant life, hopefully enough that it was invisible to the mech. As a place to rest up, this seemed to be as good as it was going to get. The two of them sat quietly for a while, gathering their thoughts. After a while, though, the silence began to make Dakota uncomfortable. She felt the need to say something. Anything. What's the old navy? Falk looked up at her from the shadows, snapping back from wherever he'd been. 
When you first arrived in the township, she went on, you were wearing a shirt that had Old Navy written on it. You can read? Falk asked. Dakota made a face. What kind of question was that? Of course I can read. My brother taught me. Sorry, said Falk. It's rare, that's all. Was Old Navy the type of military your father was in? My mother was in the Air Force. Oh, said Falk. He sounded somehow weaker than usual. No, it was just a shirt I found. I don't remember where. Silence again. Dakota was beginning to sense that something was wrong. She felt the need to keep Falk talking, if not for his own spirits, then for hers. Plus, there was still so much she wanted to know. And now she could actually talk to him at length, not like back in the township where the best she could do was steal a moment with him here and there. What did you mean when you said the map led to liberation? She could see Falk sitting there, across from her, in the semi-darkness. But he wasn't looking back at her, just staring at nothing in particular. It made her nervous. Falk, she repeated. Huh? What did you mean when you said the map led to liberation? You know as much as I do. That's all my father ever told me. He also said there'd need to be two of us. Why? I don't know, he snapped, too loud. He quieted again, glancing back up at the grate. Sound could carry down here in the sewers. And there might be mech nearby outside, listening. Damn it, could we just... Could we just sit quietly for a little while? Dakota decided not to push. It was unusual for Falk to snap at her like that. For a while, neither of them spoke. I'm sorry, Falk said finally. I didn't mean to bark at you like that. It's okay, said Dakota. It's just... Back in the township, you sounded like you knew more than you wanted to say. I figured now that we're out. I really don't, he said. My father never wanted me to know too much in case the mech ever interrogated me about it. If I made it sound like I knew more, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deceive you. It's just... He trailed off. Just what? It's just... I was afraid. Afraid to do this alone. I would have if I'd had no other choice, if I'd never found you, but once I did, I really needed you to believe in me, or you might not have come. It was too dark down here to see much of Fox's face, but Dakota could tell how vulnerable he was in that moment. It was there, in the tremor in his voice, the way he was looking not at her, but at the wall behind her. She wasn't certain if it made her feel worse that he wasn't as assured as he'd always seemed, or better because he seemed more human. More... like her. Finally, he looked her in the eye. I'm still afraid, he said. We both are, Dakota replied. She reached out for him to put a hand on his shoulder, some small gesture of comfort, but he recoiled from her. And as he did so, he drew breath sharply between his teeth. Dakota knew that sound. He was in pain. 
Had the fall into the sewer been worse than it looked? She saw now that he was clutching his arm. Maybe he'd dislocated it. If so, she knew how to help. She stood. Took a step toward him. Let me see that. It's nothing, he said, and he angled his right side away from her, trying to hide where he was hurt. Don't be silly, show me, she said, coming closer. And he couldn't hide it anymore. Even in the dim light, she could see what had happened to him. He hadn't hurt his arm in the fall. It had happened before that, outside. His upper right arm had been grazed by a mech scuttler beam, another near miss, but closer than the one that had passed by her face, and even a graze from a scuttler beam was a grievous wound. The outer side of his arm was horribly burned, layers of flesh deep. It wasn't bleeding. The beam had cauterized the wound instantly, but it was oozing some kind of clear fluid. Dakota had seen burns before. She'd treated Sam for a particularly bad one once after he had tried, against her advice, to examine a downed mech drone. That was how they learned that all mech were fitted with self-destruct mechanisms to prevent human tampering. She'd pulled him away just in time, but the heat flash from the explosion had badly seared his hand. But this burn on Falk's arm was worse. Far worse. And she knew that a bad burn was the worst possible kind of pain. How he had managed to hide what must have been agony for the last few hours was beyond her. She unzipped the top half of her coveralls, revealing the drab olive tank top beneath, and started ripping away one of the sleeves. You should have told me about that earlier, she said. She didn't try to hide the sharpness in her tone. She was genuinely annoyed at him. I didn't want to worry you, he offered meekly. Don't go mixing up brave and stupid, she said. She finished tearing off the sleeve and started working it into a bandage. It's not that bad, Fox said. It's just a burn. I'm not going to bleed out. I'll be fine so long as it doesn't get infected. The longer you leave that exposed, the more chance you have of infection, she said. What both of them knew, but didn't dare say, was that it most likely was already infected. They were in an ancient sewer surrounded by every kind of filth imaginable. Literally the worst place to be with an open wound. Stay still. This is gonna hurt, she said, and she began winding the sleeve bandage around his arm. He flinched, screwed his eyes shut tight against the pain. Dakota finished as quickly and as carefully as she could. There, she said when she was done. That'll have to do. Falk examined the dressing. It looks good. Thanks. Dakota sat back down. We can't stay here. No, said Falk. We'll start out in a little while. Try to find some way out of here while there's still some light. Then we'll wait for dark and head for the mountains. Sound like a plan? It sounded like a plan. Command Unit Report. Unit Rank. War Commander. First Class. Designation. Mech 39487651-28743. Filed. 11768492 MKST 3645.843. 
This unit is tasked by the master algorithm with overseeing the recovery of two prisoners from Labor Township number 7424, Sector 11 on 11759873, MKST 5288.732. Escape subjects are designated number 8147676, Dakota Bregman, age 22, and 3990983, Stephen Volk, age 26. Subject files appended to this report. Positive subject identification by Aerial Scout Unit, traveling overground on foot at Gridref, E48EA94116, on 11768492 MKST3993.751. Standard ground units deploy. Subjects escaped via subterranean drainage system. Remain at large. This unit assigns additional units to conduct search operations in sectors 12, 13, 14, 17, 21. This unit travels to Labor Township number 7424, section 11, to conduct preliminary investigation to acquire information about subject Bregman and subject Falk. The master algorithm calculates Termination of subjects is permissible if this unit should determine live recovery impossible or inefficient expenditure of resources, this unit is thereby granted broad operational discretion. Stand by. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 10 Dakota and Fox spent the next few hours making their way through the sewers, attempting to put as much distance between them and their pursuers as possible before choosing a place to reemerge. Though it seemed like they were safe from the mech down here, at least temporarily, Dakota couldn't wait to get out. The smell was close to unbearable, and she felt more confined than she ever had in the township. More than that, though, she needed to get Falk out of here. He was worsening, and every second down here in this rank, germ-filled environment only increased his danger of infection. She wished she could give him real medicine and a proper dressing, but right now, she would settle for fresh air and sunlight. Eventually, they came across what seemed like a suitable exit, a large circular outlet covered by a rusted metal grill. They reckoned they were at least a few miles from where they'd escaped the scuttlers, 
unless they'd somehow gotten turned around down here in this darkened maze, which was certainly a possibility. But the sky outside at least confirmed their sense of the passage of time. It was late in the day, nearly dusk. After wrestling with the grate, they were able to get it to budge. Dakota did most of the work, as Falk's bad arm was next to useless. But they didn't remove it all the way just yet. Instead, they loosened it just enough to peek out, to discover that on the other side was nothing but a sheer drop to a broad river coursing ten meters below. Well, shit, said Falk, echoing Dakota's feelings exactly. He propped himself up on the sewer wall. Let's rest for a while before we do this. Let it get a little darker first, he said. In the fading light shafting through the grate, Dakota could see that he was exhausted. Despite her eagerness to get out of here, she nodded. Her lack of sleep last night and then a full day on the run was catching up to her. She was tired, too. You just have the worst luck, huh? Falk said, after a long moment of quiet. What do you mean? She asked. I mean, saddled with two guys in a row with only one arm. What are the odds? She frowned at him. That isn't funny. He looked down, glum. Sorry. Now she felt bad. He'd tried, however clumsily, to find some humor in a bad situation. No, she said. I'm sorry. I it's okay. After another long silence, Falk tried again. Do you remember your mother? He asked. No, said Dakota. I was only two when she died. But I've seen her. My brother used to have a photograph of her with my dad and him when he was a baby. What happened to the photo? The mech took it when we were captured. Falk nodded. He understood. The mech took everything. If I close my eyes, I can still see it, though. Dakota went on. I looked at that photo so many times, it's, it's like it's burned into my brain. Take a look at it now, said Falk. Tell me. She closed her eyes, and there it was, right in front of her. My mother's beautiful, she said. She has long, dark hair that she wears tied up in back. And she's tall. My dad, he's a big man. Stocky. Close, cropped hair and a mustache. He's handsome. Sam. Well, Sam looks like a baby. She smiled as the image grew more vivid in her mind. My mom and dad, they both have the same look. Proud, but sad. Like they knew something bad was coming. Dakota couldn't be sure. But based on Sam's age, the photo would have been taken four or five years into the Ten-Year War. And from everything she'd heard, the second half of the war was far worse than the first. The mech would bring more and more reinforcements from their home world, deploy battle units on every front, and make it impossible for Earth's increasingly desperate military forces, already stretched thin, to hold them back. From that point on, it was just a matter of time. Maybe when the photograph was taken, her parents already knew that. What were their names? Falk asked. My mother was Rosalind. 
My father always called her Rosie. That was true as far as she knew, what Sam had told her. My father's name was Fred. She looked at Falk and saw a sadness in his eyes. What about you? she asked. What do you remember about your parents? Falk thought about his answer, then looked outside. It's dark enough now, he said. We should go. Dakota and Fox stood at the open sewer outlet and looked down at the fast-moving river below. You up for this? Fox asked. It wasn't herself that Dakota was worried about. Are you? Let's find out, he said. And without another word, he jumped. Dakota watched in astonishment as he plummeted into the river. She hesitated to follow. She hated the water. Always had. But he was already being carried away by the current. And if she didn't go now, she risked losing sight of him. So she jumped. She felt the air rush past her, saw the water coming up to meet her, and then everything disappeared as she hit the surface and sank beneath it, her world reduced suddenly to a dark blur and a deep bass rumbling in her ears. The cold water bit into her skin, sending a shock running through her. It wasn't as bad as a township shower, but it was close. For a frightening moment, she couldn't figure out which way was up. She'd gotten turned around during the fall, and there was no sunlight to guide her back to the surface. Lost in the dark, she panicked. Twisting frantically, thrashing with her arms and legs, and then, finally, she broke through. One hand finding the surface, then her head rising above it. She was facing backward as the river pulled her along. She turned herself around and was relieved to still see Falk up ahead. He'd made his way to the riverbank and was climbing out. Dakota tried to swim over to the same bank, but she wasn't closing the distance fast enough. She was going to pass him right by. Falk moved quickly, with his good arm. He held out a fallen branch to her. She lunged for it and grabbed on, the rough bark cutting into her hands, and Falk heaved her ashore. The two of them collapsed onto their backs beside one another, taking in deep gulps of air. That wasn't so bad. Was it? said Falk, between breaths. <sighs> All Dakota could do was laugh. Fortunately, the river had deposited them at the edge of a forested area. They traveled through the moonlit night under the protection of the foliage, shivering as they went, still soaked through. Before dawn came, they would need to stop and find a place to hole up, because moving by day carried too much risk of being spotted, and because both were by now deathly tired and in dire need of rest. So, when just as the sky was starting to lighten, they came upon a dried-up streambed traversed by a crumbling stone bridge. They decided it would have to do. It wasn't much, but down in the gully covered by the bridge above, they were at least sheltered from the elements, and the mech. They even decided that it was worth taking the risk to make a small fire. If they didn't warm themselves soon, they might well freeze to death. Dakota gathered the wood and the tinder and the rocks to spark the flame, as she'd done so many times with Sam, while Fox stayed beneath the bridge nursing his wounded arm. It was strange, Dakota thought, as she built the fire, how her relationship with Falk had come to mirror her relationship with Sam. As with her brother, she had at first depended on him, seeing him as the leader, the protector, the one with all the answers. And then, those roles had reversed, so that now it was Falk who, like Sam, 
had been weakened, and it was Dakota who was responsible for keeping them alive. It was foolish to have ever thought of Falk as some kind of storybook hero. She knew that. But that was nonetheless how she had come to see him during their time in the township. A man with no fear, no uncertainty. He'd reminded her of a part of herself she'd almost forgotten. The fighter. The survivor. The one who dreamed of saying no more running. And instead, turning around and taking the mech head-on, whatever the outcome. Falk embodied all that and more. So perhaps it wasn't that surprising that she had begun to mythologize him, to make him into more than he was. But he was just a man. Braver and more competent than most she'd met, but still, just a man. As fallible and as mortal as any other. When she had the fire going well, spitting and crackling, she and Falk huddled close to it, enjoying warmth that their bodies had almost forgotten. That feels good said Falk. Dakota looked at him across the fire. And it occurred to her that this was the first time she'd really stopped to look at him since the township. With his face lit orange by the dancing light of the fire, he appeared drawn. But the fight hadn't left him. It was still there, buried a little deeper beneath the fatigue and pain and fear. But it was there, and not going anywhere. Did you really escape from six townships? She asked. I, uh, may have exaggerated a little, he said, looking up from the fire. Really, it was four. Sorry. I guess I was trying to impress you. I needed you to believe that I knew what I was doing so you'd trust me enough to help. Escaping from four townships is plenty impressive already. You didn't need to exaggerate, said Dakota. Then she asked another question, one that had been on her mind for some time. Why did you go to the trouble of finding us at all? You said whatever it is we're supposed to do will take two of us. But why did you need Sam? Or me? You already have the map. You could have just picked anyone you wanted to go with you. Falk gazed into the flames. I certainly thought about that, he said. It would have been easier, for sure. But... I don't know. He looked down at the strange map imprinted on his forearm. I've always felt like... I wasn't supposed to do this with just anyone. But with someone who this... Whatever this is was meant for. Same as it was meant for me. Maybe that's dumb, but I believe in fate. It's brought me this far. Dakota thought about that. But the map wasn't meant for me. It was meant for Sam. And you're not here with him. You're here with me. He looked up at her. Maybe that's fate, too, he said. She looked back at him from across the fire. And for that moment, it was only them in the world. Then Falk looked away. So yeah. Four escapes. Or five now. Four and a half, said Dakota with a smile.
We split credit for this last one. Falk allowed himself a smile, too. <laughs> Fair enough. They slept, then. For the first time since their escape. They lay beneath the crumbling bridge, their bodies pressed together for warmth. And though they were alone in the hostile wilderness, defenseless and hunted by a merciless alien race that had conquered their entire world. Dakota had never in her life felt safer. She rose shortly after dark and foraged for food. As she crept around, careful to stay quiet and hidden and always watchful for Mech, she remembered her lessons from her time on the run with Sam. She knew which berries and acorns were safe to eat. When she returned with her haul, Falk was still asleep, so she let him rest a while longer and she ate her share. She liked watching him sleep. It was the first time she'd seen him at peace. After he woke, she surprised him with the food she'd gathered and watched as he hungrily ate it down. Then it was time to move again. Rejuvenated by their much-needed rest, they continued at a brisk pace through the moonlit forest until they arrived at the outskirts of a small town. There were still sometimes treasures to be found in places like this. So, under cover of darkness, they headed toward the town to explore. It was less a town than a place that had sprung up by the side of a road, a waypoint for travelers on the way to their actual destination. There was a falling-down gas station, some restaurants, shops, a few houses. Dakota's optimism about finding something of worth here waned as she got a good look at the place. Should we split up? Falk asked. Maybe get this place searched faster? No, Dakota said firmly. We stay together. Always. Sam had taught her that rule, and she'd never forgotten. Right, said Falk. Sorry, I'm just used to doing this alone. It's okay, said Dakota. Just stop apologizing. Was it her imagination, or was he beginning to seem more nervous, more self-conscious around her? Sorry, he said. She shot him a look. He smiled. They didn't make out that badly. The gas station and the stores had nothing left, but in one of the restaurants they found packets of sugar and ketchup which they feasted on, and best of all, one of the houses had a cellar with clean rags and a quarter bottle of bleach. Falk bit down on a rubber hose they found down there while Dakota cleaned his wound and wrapped it. She was relieved to find that, while the burn was still horrific, it didn't look infected. And surely they'd have seen the signs by now. Things were actually looking up, down here in this rank cellar. It was also as good a hiding place as they were likely to find, and with the new dawn not far away, they decided to stay until the following nightfall before moving on. They were both bone-tired, and some more rest in a place of relative safety would be well worth the delay. Dakota was sure the obsessively efficient mech algorithm would have agreed. They ate more of the ketchup they'd stuffed in their pockets, and though the plumbing didn't work, they managed to coax some water out of the pipes by taking them apart and draining them into a bucket. It tasted foul, but it beat death by dehydration. Best of all, Dakota found an old chess set tucked away at the back of a shelf. She'd never seen a real one before, and it took her a while to work out which piece was which. For her whole life, a queen had been a spark plug. A bishop, a bolt with two nuts threaded onto it. But once she had it figured, 
She taught Falk how to play, just as Sam had once taught her. Again, he said, after his seventh defeat in a row. She'd shown him no mercy. It was his own fault. He'd insisted she not go easy on him. Your problem is you never know when you're beaten, she said, with a smile. She began to reset the board. When she was done, she saw that Falk had been looking at her this whole time, a half-smile on his face. What? She said. Why are you looking at me like that? He shook his head. Nothing. Don't give me that. Tell me. He shrugged, still smiling. I wasn't going to say anything, but... You should go look in the mirror. Honestly, it wasn't even all that funny to me until you started beating my ass in this dumb game. There was a cracked and stained old mirror on the wall above a sink. Dakota went and looked. It was the first time she'd seen her face since leaving the township, and it didn't look the same. The face that stared back at her now had been neatly divided down the middle. On one side, her skin was its usual color. On the other side, she was bright pink bordering on red. What the hell? And then she remembered. The mech scuttler that had missed with its heat beam. The shot had been close enough to give one side of her face instant sunburn. Falk was laughing now. She whipped around. You think this is funny? What can I say? The world's gone to shit, he said. And my standards for what's funny are real low. She turned to look at her reflection again. Falk was right. She looked ridiculous. And then she was laughing, too. She and Falk had, from the beginning, been comrades. Now, they were friends. Chapter 11 It was impossible to reckon the passage of time in the windowless cellar. So every now and then, Falk and Dakota would take turns going upstairs to peek outside. When at last night had fallen, it was time to go. They made one final sweep of the cellar to be sure they hadn't missed anything of value. Nothing other than an old marker pen, which Dakota stuffed in her pocket. She led the way out of the cellar, and they crouch-walked silently down the hallway and across the ransacked living room. Falk popped his head up to take a quick look through the broken windows, and when he saw nothing but the abandoned shops and gas station under the pale light of the moon, gave Dakota a thumbs up. Dakota reached up and was just about to turn the knob on the front door when a stark, antiseptic light flooded in from the outside. Adrenaline shot through her like a bolt of electricity as she recoiled. Only Mech made that kind of light. It was the same cold hue that blazed all night long inside the township. She froze, her back flat against the wall, and gestured to Falk to stay quiet. Though, of course, he already knew. The mech was right outside. If it was a surveyor or an enforcer, they were as good as dead, detected already. But as the drone moved around the house, its searchlight spilling in through the windows, Dakota caught a glimpse of it. She knew that shape well. Knew all the mech types well enough to write her own field guide. From every kind of battle unit to the rarely seen but terrifying commanders, hideous machines that walked about on two legs, and even had something approximating a human face. She knew with certainty that the machine outside was a rover, about as low-end as it got. The mech produced them in mass numbers more than any other. They were formidable enough once they spotted you, fast and well-armed. 
but they were only equipped with basic audiovisual and motion sensors that you could defeat if you knew how. Basically, don't move and stay the fuck quiet. And so Dakota and Falk did just that as the rover continued to probe outside. Dakota wondered if this was just a routine search, part of its usual patrol route, or if something had alerted it and brought it here. Had it seen their movements? Heard something? What if those rovers had gotten smarter in the years she'd been incarcerated, upgraded to some superior model with better sensors? She closed her eyes, aware that nothing she did now mattered. Fate would decide what happened next. And though she knew it was unwise, she moved her arm a few inches along the wall until she found Falk's hand. She took it in hers, felt his grip tighten, and knew they were agreed. If they were going to die here and now, then let them do it together. After what felt like an eternity, the light turned and moved away. The living room was plunged into darkness once more. Dakota exhaled. But still, neither of them moved. They waited. Hands clasped tightly together for more than an hour. And then they were out the door and running like hell into the dark of night. The town wasn't far from the mountains, and they found an old zigzag trail that went into the foothills and started to climb. It was never wise to stay on any kind of road or pathway for too long, as the mech watched those most of all, but they followed it for a bit before charting their own course. They were careful to move through crevices or ravines where possible, and never atop ridgelines or along bare rock where they'd be exposed to mech eyes and ears. Both of them had used mountains to travel by stealth before, and they knew that even the best mech sensors couldn't penetrate millions of tons of solid rock. So as long as they kept themselves walled in, they had a decent chance of remaining undetected. They spent the better part of a week that way, and never saw a mech, except for a single fast mover that shot high over them on the second day and never came back. They found shelter in the mouths of caves and beneath rock outcroppings, drank from streams, and made surprisingly good time over the rugged terrain. Falk estimated at least ten miles per night. Dakota even caught fish for them to eat, showing Falk how she'd learned to do it, with a tree branch whittled down into a fine point. When they came out of the mountains on the fifth day of their trek, things got harder. Falk had checked his map against the stars twice the previous night, and the landmarkings now, and was pretty sure they were close to their goal, maybe fifty miles. But they'd no longer have the cover of the mountains, just open plains of grass and fields as flat as floorboards. They waited at the edge of cover and watched for signs of mech activity. But to the surprise of them both, by the time darkness fell, they had seen none. What do you think? Falk asked. I think maybe we're lucky, said Dakota. I don't think the mech are looking for us this far out, or they figure we're already dead. Falk nodded. I agree. Doesn't mean there's no mech out there, though. There's still the standard patrols. Let's be careful. They walked the edge of the tree line until they found an area with foliage dense enough that if they stayed low, they could keep themselves at least somewhat concealed. It wasn't much, but it was all they had. Falk led the way after dark, 
and they spent the rest of the night losing count of the number of scrapes and scratches they got from the brambles and the prickly shrubs they pushed through. Just as dawn was starting to lighten the sky, they came across the broken asphalt of a two-lane highway. I don't like being anywhere near a road during the day, said Falk, as they lay prone in the bushes peering out. But if we're quick, we're across that highway and back into cover on the other side in seconds, and can cover a bit more ground before we rest. You good? Dakota nodded. Falk counted down from three, and they were both up and sprinting across the highway. But even as Falk ran ahead and leapt over the corrugated crash barrier on the far side of the road, something caught Dakota's eye and caused her to suddenly stop. Normally, she'd know better than to stand in the middle of open ground with clear skies above, leaving herself vulnerable to detection. But she couldn't help herself. Falk saw that she stopped in the road and hurriedly made his way back to her. Dak, he said. She'd finally allowed him to call her that. What's wrong? What is it? She was staring up, transfixed, at a rusted road sign. It's me, she said. Falk looked up at the sign, too. The top of it was gone. Either rusted through or damaged by some battle that had happened here. But the words beneath were still clearly legible save for a few letters that had fallen away. Welcome to South Dakota, the land of infinite variety. Command Unit Report. Unit Rank. War Commander, First Class. Designation, Mech 3948765128743. Filed 11798312, MKST 5821.712. This unit arrives at Labor Township number 7424, Sector 11. To conduct standard interrogation of prisoners related to escape of subjects number 8147676 Bregman and number 3990983 Falk. All prisoners are advised to report to command building immediately after morning alarm for questioning by township administration units interrogations ongoing. This unit is advised that Subject Bregman has older sibling number 8147675, Samuel Bregman, age 27, also resident in Labor Township number 7424. Bregman S. is instructed by Township Administration to report directly to this unit for interrogation. Labor Township number 7424 remains under enhanced security status after escape of one additional worker at 11784829 MKST 3645.843. Details to follow. Stand by. Chapter 12 In the end, it was a mech that got them just not in a way that either of them could have expected. 
Falk had pulled Dakota from the naked exposure of the highway and into the scrub on the other side, where he told her they'd crossed the old territory boundary from Wyoming. That was good news. Going by the map, their destination wasn't far across the border, and if they continued to make good time, they might be there in only a few more days. But Dakota couldn't stop wondering why she had the same name as the place they'd been headed for this whole time. By coincidence or intent? In a world in which a mysterious man had somehow found her in a vast nation under alien occupation, coming to her with a treasure map printed on his arm in promises of a freedom always thought impossible, she was no longer willing to believe that anything happened by accident. They continued on through more swaths of prickly scrub brush, heading toward a small town that Falk had spotted on the horizon. Beyond that were more mountains, big ones, and according to Falk's map, their destination lay somewhere within those peaks. They were so close now. This town was bigger than the last, a place people had once made their home rather than just pass through. It was a ghost town now, of course, and though Dakota had never seen a town look any other way, the sight of these empty human settlements always filled her with unease, a horrible sense of wrongness that a place once so full of life should now be hollowed out and barren. Wait for dark, then go house to house, Fox suggested. Dakota nodded. On the edge of town was a small strip of stores, but nothing to be found there. More interesting were the houses on the shallow hillside above. The first few had nothing, stripped down to the floorboards and wall studs. But eventually, they found an unmarked can of food and a weatherproof jacket. After shaking out the moths and dusting it down, Falk insisted that Dakota take the jacket. She'd been a sleeve short ever since she sacrificed one to wrap his wounded arm. The jacket was a size too big for her, but it felt wonderful around her, soft and warm. Though they didn't know it, the next house they checked would be their last. Dakota and Falk were searching downstairs when Falk stopped outside a closed door and gestured for her to join him. She crept over. I think there's somebody inside, he whispered. I can hear them moving in there, scratching around. Dakota listened, and then she heard it too. The scratching. It's probably just a cat or something, she said. Though she was getting a bad feeling. Let's move on to the next house. What if it's someone who's hurt, said Falk. Like a kid or something. We can't just leave them. If they're hurt, there's nothing we can do for them. I'm serious, Falk, let's go. She tugged on his arm, but he wouldn't move. Hello? He called through the door. And Dakota felt a sudden panic. Sam had taught her better than this, and she gesticulated wildly at Falk to cut it out. But there was no response to his call. Just more of the same scratching. Falk reached for the doorknob. Do not go in there, Dakota whispered. It'll be okay, said Falk, and he opened the door. They were hit by the smell of motor oil and something else, acrid and sour and familiar. There had been gunfire in there, and not long passed. And then the door swung wide, and they saw it. A mech rover, resting in the corner with its underside exposed. Like an overturned beetle, it twitched its metallic limbs in the air as if trying to right itself. But it was badly damaged, leaking oil and other fluids that pooled on the floor. There were bullet holes in the walls around where it had fallen. Someone took it down, said Falk. 
He took a step closer, fascinated. We should go, said Dakota. More will be coming. I don't know, said Falk. Look how much oil's soaked onto the floorboards. It's been here a while. You ever seen a downed mech before? Yeah, said Dakota. She'd seen plenty. Don't get too close. It's still dangerous. Pretty sure it's dead, he said, still transfixed. I never saw one like this before. All shot up. Not this close. You said you'd been with people who'd done it, she said. Never actually saw it, though. Just heard tell. Maybe there's some way we can take it apart. Get its weapon. You're a mechanic, right? He stepped forward eagerly to have a better look. And Dakota could manage no more than stop! They have a- Before Fox's approach triggered the damaged mech's proximity sensor and activated its self-destruct mechanism, it exploded. The blast knocking Dakota clean off her feet and through the doorway into the hall. She hit the wall hard and collapsed to the floor, dazed. Her vision was blurry and her ears were ringing, and the doorway was coughing out thick black smoke. She staggered to her feet and covered her nose and mouth before rushing headlong back into the room, blinded by the smoke, but following the sounds of Fox hacking and spluttering. When she found him, she grabbed his arm and dragged him from the room. It took tremendous effort in her disoriented state, but she pulled him all the way outside, onto the house's front path, and looked back. The explosion had started a fire and the blaze was already raging in the room where they'd just been. She pulled Falk farther from the growing inferno and stopped beneath a tree. She slumped back against it, exhausted. Are you okay? She asked. I think so, he said, lying prone next to her. Nothing hurts. Only then did she see that most of his left leg was gone, shredded just above the knee. She clapped her hand over her mouth, Fox saw her reaction and craned his head forward to see what was the matter. Oh, he said when he saw. Fuck. You're gonna be okay, she said, lying to them both. She tore the lining from her jacket and fashioned it into a tourniquet. She was fighting back tears as she tied it around the stump of his leg. There was no way to know how much blood Falk had already lost, but if she'd tied the wound off well enough and quickly enough, there was at least a chance that he could... You can't stay here, Dak, he said. You have to go. I'm not leaving you, she said, her voice faltering. Listen to me. I'm done. You can't carry me, and even if you could, I'm useless. This is as far as I go. His whole body was shaking. Shut up, just shut up, just give me a minute. She was crying now, and unable to control it. He grabbed her arm, made her look at him. Dak, listen. There is no way the mech haven't seen that fire. They'll be coming. You have to go now. I can't, she sobbed. I can't. We've come so far, said Falk. Don't let me down now. His voice was growing weaker, his eyes dimming. Whatever's waiting for us is so close now. Don't let all of this be for nothing. Please, Dak. Go. I can't do this without you, she sobbed. Yes, you can. He took her hand and tried to squeeze it, but his grip was too weak. You have to.
Dakota wiped the tears from her eyes. The house was now burning down to its frame, on the verge of collapse. Even at this distance, the heat was almost too much to bear. I just need to get you away from here, she said. Then we can figure this out, okay? Let's just... He wasn't looking at her anymore. His eyes were closed. And his body was no longer shaking. He fell still. Dakota almost screamed. She checked his neck for a pulse, and then exhaled with relief when she felt one. It was weak, and erratic, but there. He'd passed out from shock, or from blood loss, or some combination of both. But he wasn't dead. Yet. That was when she saw the first mech searchlight. Then another. And though she was distraught beyond anything she'd ever felt, she somehow found the presence of mind to do the last thing she had to do before she left him. She rolled up his right sleeve, and with the marker pen she'd stashed in her pocket, she hurriedly copied the last part of Fox's map from his arm and onto her own. Her version, done in a shaking hand and half-blind from tears, wasn't nearly as precise as the original, but it would have to be enough. It would have to be. And then she was up on her feet, running for the hills. Gundog was created and written by Gary Witta and performed by Shannon Woodward. Special appearance by Troy Baker. Music by Austin Wintery. Edited by David Gatewood. Sound editing by Adam Nickerson. Video editing by Chandana Ekanayaka. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.